We're going to talk uh, tonight uh, about what it means to live as a human being in here and now. Basically, we're talking about um, what it means to, to follow Jesus under the conditions of the world we live in, which, which is very, very hard um, very often. Um, what, what we need to do until, from now until Jesus returns, until we're resurrected. Um, I want to start us off tonight about a topic that might seem really obvious to you, um, but actually people are arguing about it these days. Um, and that's the topic, what is a human being? You go, well, I'm a human being, you're a human being. It's pretty obvious what a human being is. But here's the thing. Um, people these days, um, AI, artificial intelligence, is getting so far forward that some folks are actually saying, you know, before long we're going to have to start thinking of them, stop thinking about them as what's and start thinking about them as who's because they th- they're smarter than we are, okay? Like, And they've got personalities and they're self-aware and they think before long we'll have to think about computers that way. Like we'll, we'll have to give them human rights kind of thing. So some people are saying that. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, there's people... Have you ever heard of a transhuman movement? Transhumanism? What transhuman is, it's like sci-fi as anything. Um, basically, transhumanism is saying um, uh, our animal history, we're mammals, flesh and blood, we're creatures, um, our animal history is soon to end and our minds will be all uploaded to computers and our digital evolution will begin. The human, future of the human race is digital. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Just make sure it's not a Mac you get uploaded to. Just imagine, you could be an iPhone. That's really attractive. But this idea that, see, there's, you know, there's dumb versions of this and serious versions of this. This is a movie that came out in 2014. Has anybody had the misfortune of seeing it? Um, It got 20% of Rotten Tomatoes. Life is short and this movie sucks, so don't watch it. But... Um, basically what Transcendence is about is about a man who, uh, his body's dying and so they're doing this, you know, university project with computers and so they upload his consciousness to the computer. And he's alive on the computer or is he dead? I don't even know. That's what the whole movie's about and I don't want to know more about that because it was very bad apparently. But is he alive? See, you, you know they have the slogan on the bottom of the poster you can't read from there because the, it's not good enough font, uh, the pixel rate or whatever. Um, but what it says is... Um, Yesterday, Dr. Will Castor was only human. So now he's more than human or better than human or something. I don't know if he's human anymore or if his mind's uploaded to a computer. See, a big part of the problem thinking about what we are these days is we use computer analogies. I think a lot of us really think that human beings are basically, I have a biological CPU up here that does lots of calculations and thinking and stuff, and it drives this robot made out of meat and bones that's my body... (laughs) And if you download all the data out of my head into a computer, then that'll be me on the computer and this thing doesn't matter. I could be like a robot version of myself or something. And, and people think about human beings this kind of way. But human beings aren't much like computers. We're, we're really integrated. Um, we run on hormones and adrenaline and all sorts of stuff, um, whole body things. Um, actually, they're finding... Um, one, one of the things they're researching at the moment is that um, one of the most important factors in psychological health is actually gut health. Um, you, you, you know, how your intestines work. Bacteria in them, really important for psychological health. Um, we're whole body people. You can't just upload the bit that's in my brain. You won't get the same person on the computer. It won't be me. It might be some weird copy of me, but it won't be me. The Bible takes this whole person approach to what a human being is. And it's really important because this is why Jesus came and did what he did. Because Jesus died on the cross not just so that you could be uploaded into heaven and be a ghost forever or something like that. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again conquering death. Because human beings are bodies. We're, we're, we're creatures, we're animals, we're physical beings. And to be a human being forever, you need to be a resurrected human being that's no longer subject to sin and death. That's why Jesus rose again from the dead, so that he had resurrected eternal life to share with other people. 
Now, why am I talking about this stuff? Um, well, I thought it's fun, but also it's got to do with what the Bible's talking about. Um, chapter 7, uh, 14 to the end of the chapter, actually, is one of the most disputed bits of the Bible by people who actually believe the Bible, that is. I mean, people who don't believe the Bible argue about all sorts of things and what they mean, but people who actually believe the Bible disagree about what this means. Um, and and um, the real question is, if you have a look at your Bible, you find it really helpful tonight to have your Bible in front of you. Chapter 7, 14 to the end of the chapter talks about this, it talks in first person, like it says I, and it tells the story of a person, and it talks about what a terrible person he is, basically. I'm a wretched man, is what he says. So who is the wretched man? This is what people talk about. Is that a Christian? Can Christians really say what a wretched human being I am? Aren't we saved and changed by Jesus? Like, are we really wretched people? Or is it the person who's not a Christian yet, going, I'm a really wretched person, I need Jesus? And this is what people argue about. You go, why does that matter? Well, actually... Um, it matters quite a bit in practice because in practice, well, it matters for one reason because if all you hear about Romans 7 is, oh, that's a really hard bit, people don't know what to make of that and they argue about it, when you go to read it in Bible study, you talk about academic questions and you don't get on with actually obeying it because you, you haven't resolved what it means. But so you need to know what it means to obey it. But it's also practical because it says things like, oh, it's not me who sins, it's my sinful nature in me. And people go, oh, that means you can blame sin and it's not you're not responsible anymore or something like that if you take that view. Or, and, and people who believe it's a Christian go, do you really believe that Christians are perfect and don't sin anymore and don't struggle with sin? I mean, obviously that's not true. And so it actually, your understanding in this passage has big implications for the Christian life. Um, that may not be immediately obvious, but I've seen it over and over. It's a very important part of the Bible to get right. Let me read it again. Chapter 7, just a bit of it. Chapter 7, 14 to 24. Um, I want you to have that question in your head as we read it. Is it a person who's a Christian or is it a person who's not a Christian yet? Let's have a, have a look at chapter 7, verse 14, to, and, and we'll start reading from there. It says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. And then there's all the doo-doos that David did a great job of. Um, I don't understand what I do. For what I do, I, uh, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. But if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know there's nothing good that lives in me, that is my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin who living in me that does it. So I find this law at work in me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Does it strike you as a Christian or not, not a Christian? <laughs> Just have it in your head because that's what we're going to talk about today. There's a lot of reasons to think it's not a Christian. I actually think it is a Christian. Let's we'll cut the bag out, out of the bag now. But we need to take seriously the reasons for this because what happens in practice is you go to different places and preachers do tell you different things and you go, this guy thinks this and this guy thinks that. Who cares what those guys think? What are their reasons for what they think? What I want to show you tonight is my reasons for thinking this is the Christian so you can be informed and make your own mind up. Um, here's some reasons that people say it's not a Christian. Um, Christians are set free from sin. Chapter 6 says that over and over again. 
But in chapter 7, 14, he says, I'm a slave of sin. That sounds like a contradiction, right? You're either free from sin or you're a slave of sin. You can't be both. Christians have the Holy Spirit. But in 7, 14, he says, I'm unspiritual. Well, do you have the Holy Spirit or do you, are you unspiritual? I don't see how you could be both because it kind of sounds like a contradiction. You see what people say, it's not a Christian. It's, it's pretty strong reasons, really. Um, chapter 6, 14 says, sin will not be your master anymore as a Christian. But then in chapter 7, this wretched man says, I'm a prisoner of the law of sin. Do you see how these things are in conflict? And then we'll just read one of them because um, there's a clear change from the old to new. Uh, and, and chapter 7, 5 to 6 is a really good example of that. Have a look at chapter 7, verses 5 to 6, and it, you'll see how there's a really obvious shift from you used to be uh, not a Christian and you turned into a Christian and it was different. Um, chapter 7, verse 5. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Okay, that's the old man. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. Okay, so that's the Christian. And they seem really incompatible, don't they? You're, you're one or the other. You're either you know, living the life of the spirit or you're living the life of death and sin. I remain unconvinced, though, it is talking about a Christian. Uh, We're going to look at that for a little while. There's some pretty big, heavy theological concept lifting to do in this next little bit, but it's really important, and I think it will give you Romans 6 to 8 to read devotionally and understand what it's talking about and be able to get on with obeying it. So let me give you some big ideas that I think will help you an awful lot, and they've certainly helped me. Um, So first off, you'll see this from me a bit, because the New Testament has this in every page, basically. There's basically two eras of history. There's the present evil age um, in which sin and death reign. Um, I've got pictures of it too. Um, And there's the age to come where there's the kingdom of God and the eternal life and the resurrection of the dead. Um, In the world of sin and death, death reigns. In the age to come, death's gone and eternal life reigns and righteousness reigns. Um, Those two things are opposite and only one's part of our experience, isn't it? Uh, We only know the present evil age. We experience that. Um, Now, as you go through the passage, you'll notice these um, opposites come all the way through. There's these words associated with, two sets of words associated with each one, and they're opposites. They have direct opposites all the way. So we're talking about the battle today between the flesh and the spirit. And people live either under the law of God or under God's grace. And people live sinfully under sin, or they live God's way of righteousness. Um, and, And they correspond to those two kingdoms. And we live death or we have life <laughs> and you die eternally or you live eternally. I mean, they're, they're, they're opposites. You can't have both. It's one or the other. There's a very important point that might sound very strange to you and that is that the only person in history who has eternal life is the Lord Jesus because we've only experienced the first one. Jesus is the only person to go from one to the other. How? Well, he died on the cross, having performed the law perfectly, never sinned. Um, he conquered sin, was perfectly obedient to God, and he rose from the dead. Why did he rise from the dead? Because he got what he deserved. God's just, it gives people what they deserve. Sinners get death. Jesus lived a righteous life perfectly. What did he get? He was raised from the dead because it would be wrong for him to stay dead because he earned eternal life, so he got it. And so he's the man of the age to come. He lives eternally. Death has no hold on him. He has no temptation. (laughs) Now he's resurrected. He doesn't suffer from the temptations of the world that we do. Now, he's the only person in history who has eternal life. He's the only person in history who ever will have eternal life. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? 
I have, I'm a Christian. I get eternal life in Jesus, don't I? Yes, in Jesus. That's the key word. Now, this is, this is kind of a strange concept, but it's really important. And we need to pay more attention because in every page of the New Testament, um, it's called being in Christ. This is a tree, in case you were wondering. <laughs> How many lives are in that photo? Ignoring the grass. <laughs> I know, I, I know, you have to specify that. There's one. Aren't all those leaves alive? Yeah, but they don't have their own life. They don't have their own life off there in leafy world somewhere. They're, they're part of the tree's life and the life of the tree flows through the tree and flows into them and they live. And if you take them off the tree, they don't live anymore. They're united to the tree and so they share in the life of the tree. This is what it means to be united to Christ. You don't get eternal life off there on your own somewhere. You get eternal life only by being united to Jesus by faith because Jesus is the only one who has eternal life to share. Incidentally, that's why Jesus' resurrection from the dead is so, so important to the Christian faith and there's no Christian faith without Jesus rising because a dead man cannot share eternal life with anyone. What's he got to share? He's dead, you're dead, you're all dead together, hooray. He, he can't share anything good. But if he's alive, he can share that eternal life with us too. So Jesus is alive is the best news in the world for Christians. Now, give the more literal version here. Um, so here's Mr. Christian. He's dead on his own. He's Jesus, risen from the dead. What happens is you've got to think of the Holy Spirit. He's a person, right? But the Holy Spirit is kind of like the lifeblood of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Um, what I mean is in the Creed we say the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. Um, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, the risen Jesus, is alive by the Holy Spirit. Jesus extends that Holy Spirit out to us. What happens when you become a Christian? You get the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus uniting us to himself by his Spirit, just like how blood flows through my body and flows to my fingers because my fingers are still attached. If you're united to Christ by his Spirit, then his life flows to you too. This is how we get eternal life. We don't get it ourselves. You get it by plugging into Jesus, by having faith in Jesus and being united to him by his Holy Spirit. And because we're united to Jesus, his story becomes our story. What happened to Jesus becomes our history and our new story. Have a look what it says in chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. And this is where you want to have your Bible out because we're going to look at a bunch of bits of the Bible as we go along. Chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. And it says, uh, Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him. Oh, I didn't know I was around back then. We're united to Jesus. His story is yours now. You were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you keep reading the passage, you'll see more and more of this thing because what happened to Jesus now happened to us too. He died to the old. You're dead to the old. He's alive now. You're alive to this new way as well. So Christians live between these two eras. We live in the conditions of the old age, in the present, but we've actually been born into the new and united to the king of the new age. Have a look at what chapter 8, verse 11 says. I'm going to flick the, chapter 6 to 8, is, it's all of a piece, so uh, you're going to flick around in it. Chapter 8, to, uh, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies uh, through his spirit who lives in you. 
This is what we were just talking about. If you've got the Holy Spirit, your future is resurrected life like Jesus. But because we live between this era and that's our fu- uh, in between these two eras and that's our future, Romans 7 is an incredibly conflicted part of the Bible. You're like, which is it? Which one do you live in? Well, you live in the new one, but you still live in the old one while you live the new one is kind of the message. Um, it has, there's, there's basically three, three ideas that um, go through Romans 6 to 8. Um, I'll just give them to you. And if you read Romans 6 to 8 later, I think it'll help you an awful lot to understand what's going on. There's three things to look for. Three things that have happened to us by being united to Jesus. The first one is we live in a new realm. In Jesus, in Christ. Every time it says in Christ, it's basically saying you live in a new place. It's called Jesus land. Sounds like a good theme park, doesn't it? But you live in Christ. You're united to Christ is what it's saying. You live in God's kingdom. Well, that's got obligations because if you're a part of that kingdom now, you've got to live the life of that kingdom now. That's, that's the logic. It's got obligations. You, you, you serve a new way now. You're part of, you live in the way of righteousness, not of death. There's a new power. We've talked about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, enabling us to have real change and live anew. But we do it in our old body and under our old weakness, the same weakness the entire human race has before sin. And that's what we're going to look at in a minute because as we go through the passage, Romans 6 to 8, it gives this presentation of what it means to obey God as a human being living in the here and now who has the Holy Spirit. And the whole passage is important. People try to focus on one little bit, like this bit here is a Christian and this bit is not. No, Romans 6 to 8, it's all about a Christian. It's about different aspects of being a Christian. And you want to understand who this wretched man is in chapter 7. Um, we need to pay attention to how Paul uses four words all the way through, and I think it unlocks the whole thing. The words are, I should have put them on the screen, but anyway, the words are flesh and body, there's one pair, and heart and mind, there's the other pair. There's two pairs. Flesh and body, they go together. Heart and mind, they go together as well. Some aspects of us are being renewed now. That's our heart and mind. Some things will not be renewed until you're resurrected. That's your body, resurrected, and your flesh is the word he used. Let's let's look at those four things through the passage and it suddenly becomes very clear, I think, that he's talking about a Christian. Now, flesh. What's flesh mean? Well, I'm made of it. You're looking at it. Um, means you're a meat bag, you, you know, you're made, you're made of meat. Uh, so it can talk about your, your, uh, um, your physical ancestors. Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh, according to chapter 1, verse 3. It's just talking about his ancestry. But a lot of the time when the word flesh is used, and the whole time through Romans 6 to 8, flesh is talking about our weakness before sin, our, how prone we are to temptation. Do a bit better than that. It's talking about our lusts. And I just mean like sex. I mean like our strong desires, our passions, the things that um, we just get enamoured with and go after and we let take over. I mean, what do animals live for? Animals live for food and sex. That's their only motivations as far as I'm aware just about. Human beings live for food and sex too. We just do it more sophisticated. I mean, really, look at our society. Every motivation, food and sex, that's all it is. Um, I sound like a grumpy old man, but it's true. Uh, (laughs) We just do it more sophisticated and dress it up in better clothes. It's the same thing. Um, and we're better than that because we're not supposed to be ruled by our passions and have sex with whatever we want to and eat everything we can find. We're supposed to live God's way. And our strong desires are good things. But flesh is about how we give in to them and make them rule our life. 
It's about them ruling our life. Have a look at chapter 7, verse 5, and it talks about... So flesh is part of your body as well, so it's closely related. It's related to not being resurrected yet, basically. Have a look at chapter 7, verse 5. You see an example of this. Um, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, I should mention that, um, the NIV keeps, tra- the, the word flesh, sometimes the NIV translates it sinful nature because that's the vibe. Um, flesh, sinful nature, it's the same word um, in, in, in Greek. Um, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. We were controlled by the sinful nature. Sinful passions aroused in us. You see, it's talking about that sort of how we just sort of give in to temptation and go for it and do what feels good and let that be what rules us. That's what flesh is. It's related to body. We do it because we're not resurrected yet, because we're mortal, because we're not just because we're limited, but because we're fallen. And so it's a body of sin. It's a body of death heading towards death. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 6, and you see lots of this. Um, chapter 6, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body of sin might be done away with and we should no longer be slaves to sin. See how like the sin side of us, the thing that's prone to sin, is wrapped up with our body, our physicality. We're not resurrected yet. Have a look at verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. See how evil desires are part of your physicality and, and, and not being raised yet, your mortality. Your body isn't how it's supposed to be yet because the resurrection hasn't happened yet. Chapter 8, verse 10. Turn the page. Um, it says, but if Christ is in you... Your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Come back to chapter 7 in our wretched man, and he talks about it in these terms. He's very specific. Look what he says, chapter 7, verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is where? In my sinful nature. You see, in my flesh. He's talking about there's an aspect of me that hasn't been renewed by God's spirit, that wants to obey God, that just gives into every temptation. That's our flesh. There's our, our desire side that hasn't been renewed by the spirit. And so until I'm resurrected, I will struggle with sin. And you will too. You just will. Because you're a mortal human being who suffers from the disease of death and sin. Um, and that won't change until Jesus returns. But the Spirit has started renewing us inwardly in our mind and heart. Let's look at that now. Have a look at chapter 8, verses 5 to 7. And so this is where Christians start to be different to the world around because there's this inward renewal now that isn't waiting for the age to come. It started now because the Spirit's come to us. Um, Verse verse 5 of chapter 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man, person that's not a Christian, um, uh, uh, sorry, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. See the spirit renewing the mind. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh, the sinful nature, cannot please God. People think with their flesh or they've had their minds renewed by the Holy Spirit to start obeying Jesus. Chapter 12 is another example. There's a very famous verse, chapter 12, verse 2. Um, just turn over two pages. And it's really important you see how Romans works. It's like the centre of theology of Romans. It all comes together. Chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your minds. This is the location that the Holy Spirit's at work in you. In your mind, 
and in your heart as well. That's what we're going to go in a minute. There's a bunch of other things up in the passage, but we'll actually see it in the wretched man for a sec. Come to chapter 7. What does the wretched man say about his mind? Have a look at verse 23. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, so that's his body, his mortal body and his flesh, waging war against what? The law of my mind. Excuse me, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. What a wretched man I am. And right down the bottom, verse 25 at the end. So then, I myself, good summary, in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, in my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. What about the heart? Heart renewed? I'll just show you a couple of um, points there. Have a look at... um, Sorry. Verse 22, sorry, the sinful man, the, the renewed heart. Verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight after God's law. I want to obey Jesus. See what he's saying? Heart and mind's been renewed, but your flesh, your physicality, your, your um, limited um, mortal person um, still gets tempted by sin. So here's a summary. Um, you've got this person living on the cusp between the two um, ages, Flesh is pulling one way. It's pulling you towards obeying the world, doing what feels good. Your mind renewed by the Holy Spirit is leading you to live God's way and live the life of the world to come now. Here's where it gets really, really practical. You must fight every single day because of what I've just told you. You must fight every single day against sin because your mind is being renewed by the Holy Spirit But there is a whole aspect of who you still are because you are not resurrected yet that loves sin and wants sin and wants to give in to desire and temptation and do what you know is wrong but it feels right and it's just too luring. You need to fight every day because otherwise your flesh will just be standing on you. If you're not fighting, you're losing. So what about this cry, what a wretched man I am? Have a look at it in chapter uh, chapter 7 there. Um, listen to what he says, uh, verse 21. How could it be a Christian? How can a Christian say this? So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, renewed heart. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, my flesh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, my flesh. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I've heard a lot of people say a Christian could never say that because we're not wretched. We're being renewed by the Spirit and we're saved in Jesus. You're not wretched. That's not who you are anymore. How can a Christian say that? I think only a Christian can say that. Only a Christian can say that. What on earth do you mean, Matthew? Well, only a renewed mind can see sin for what it is and Jesus for who he is and understand the gospel to see clearly that what we do is desperately fallen short of God's standards. Only a renewed mind can see that clearly. And I tell you what, only a renewed heart would care about it. Only a heart that's been renewed to love what God loves and to want to live God's way would care enough about sin to when they fall into it say, what a wretched human being I am that I keep on doing blasted sin. (laughs) Do you see? Only a heart that loves God can say that. Only a person who's united to Christ, who has had their mind renewed by the Spirit, who counts themselves slaves to righteousness, no sin's not their master anymore, whose heart's been changed to love Jesus, 
Only that person, when they see their flesh leading them into wallow in sin once again, can with any sincerity say, what a wretched human being I am. Who's going to save me from this blasted damn thing called sin? Who's going to save me from it? Friends, how do you feel about sin? Does it drive you crazy? Does it drive you to exasperation and frustration like he expresses here? Because that's a mark of a renewed heart that loves Jesus. Have you ever just been profoundly frustrated at how you find yourself doing that same thing again that you promised yourself you'd never do because you know it dishonours God and you don't want to do it, but you find yourself doing it because you're flesh and you're not resurrected yet and you're frustrated It should make us cry out to God like Paul cries out to God here. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Because only a Christian feels that way about offending the Heavenly Father. Friends, if you don't feel that way, pray to God that you would see the depths of your sin more clearly when it happens because only by labelling it can you hope to resolve to fight it. Because if you don't label it, you're not fighting it. You're not even identifying it. How can you fight an enemy that you haven't noticed over there? You can't fight enemies you haven't noticed yet. You have to identify them, see them clearly to fight them. But it isn't just sorrow that Paul feels. He also has hope and he has confidence that he can obey. And it's wonderful because he's got this question here in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Do you think he knows the answer to that? I, you know, he's like, I don't know, I'll have to think about that. That's a pretty good question, you know. Like, I'll, I'll give that some thought and get back to it. He knows Jesus has conquered death by his resurrection. He knows Jesus is alive and he's united to Christ by faith. He hopes. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God that my future, united to Jesus, is resurrected eternal life like his. And I know that for certainty. It's wonderful news especially to somebody who's struggling with sin and can't wait to not struggle with it anymore. But he doesn't just, it's not just sorrow and it's not just hope for the future, it's also he's got confidence he can actually obey God in the here and now and do a much better job of it actually. Have a look at what chapter 8 says. Come down chapter 8 verse uh, 6 um, and he's very, very confident that Christians can get on with obeying God. The mind of sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, you are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. You're controlled by the spirit. You can obey Jesus. It isn't a foregone conclusion that you have to sin tomorrow. I mean, you are going to sin in the future. Don't get me wrong. You've got the flesh, and flesh will win some battles. But it isn't a foregone conclusion that you have to lose any of them, actually. You, by the Spirit, can obey Jesus. You can defeat temptation. You can win because you have the Holy Spirit. And when you fail, you have a a wonderful Saviour who offers us free grace and new mercy every day. You'll struggle, but friends, have confidence. You can fight. You can do better. You don't have to lose. Now, I'm going to give you four points of application because this is really practical stuff. Um, and, and so let's talk about if it hits, hits the real world and if you think it's been, you know, confronting so far. Anyway, 
You're made of sponge, not granite. That's the first thing that's the application. Um, what on earth are you talking about, Matthew? Well, um, being flesh means you're weak. You're weak in the face of temptation. You get knocked over real easy. Um, that's, what, that's what flesh is. Um, <coughs> plus the flesh has buddies. They gang up on you. Um, at at um, uh, um, camp the other... Oh, I've lost technon, you know, the Greek word for kid. Yep. Um, um, yeah, I have to get it to the right part of my memory. At technon, the youth camp, we talked about this. The world, the flesh and the devil, they're the enemies of the Christian life. Um, we talked about flesh today. The world wants to give us lots of opportunities that really excite our flesh and give us all sorts of things that our flesh will want to do. Um, and the devil's there in the background going, yeah, that's a good idea, and the world's going, that's a good idea, and your flesh is inside you going, that's a good idea, and I want to do that. And so you've got to take this seriously. Um, you are not made of granite. Granite is a thing that you can put anything on and then wipe it off, and it's all it's the same. It, it doesn't get damaged, right? Um, sponge is not like that. Um, you all can probably appreciate what a kitchen sponge looks like after it engages with some really dirty, yucky, smelly stuff and you leave it wet for a few days and you know what it will smell like, I hope. Um, you are made of sponge, not granite. That means you need to be very, very careful in the Christian life what you expose yourself to because you aren't granite and things don't just wash off you. They actually soak in. Um, that's what flesh does for you. Um, it's very, very important because our society is becoming more and more comfortable with immorality. It really is. Um, I've noticed in the last 10 years, TV shows have more, more sex, more nudity and more extreme violence. It's just more normal than it was 10 years ago. Um, that's the direction it's heading. And now with Netflix and watching things that you can binge watch, um, it, you get it in bigger doses too. So it's more extreme and you can watch it for a day, a whole season you know, in a row. Um, and Christians like the world are becoming desensitised to it. We're becoming very desensitised to it. You're made of sponge, not granite, friends. For crying out loud, don't watch Game of Thrones. I know it looks fun, but it's pornography. It is. It's pornography. And if you were born 10, 20 years ago, you'd know it was pornography. Well, you know, if you were in that generation 10, 20 years ago, you were born then. TV shows full of sex and nudity, as much of that, are just not good for you in the Christian life. They just aren't. Your flesh soaks that up and turns you into something that Jesus doesn't want you to be and you shouldn't want to be if your heart's being renewed. Don't watch stuff like that. Do you know what MA means? Mature adult. What does a mature adult see do when they see something that's bad for them? I'm made of granite. I can do what I want. It'll wash right off me. No, mature adult goes, that's pretty bad for me. I better think very carefully if that's bad for me to watch and it's actually going to harm my spiritual life. That's maturity. Maturity isn't going, oh, I'm 15, I can watch what the hell I like, and I'm granite and it'll wash off. It doesn't wash off. It soaks in. It changes who you are. Be very careful. You're made of sponge, not granite. Second one, knowledge must trump feelings. Have you noticed all the way through, he's talking about your mind's being renewed and your feelings so often lead you astray. Because feelings, your desires, you often desire bad things. And sure, we have a new desire to obey God, but a lot of the, it's quite a, quite a distinct thing. The desires we have as human beings for things in the world generally are leading us astray. What we need to do, the application of that is, if the Spirit's renewing our mind, is we need to think through every single issue in life with the Bible open in front of us, praying for God to show us the way and do what the Bible says. And if we have feelings that are contrary to that, your feelings are wrong. 
I know that's really not a good thing to say these days. Your feelings are everything these days, aren't they? No, your feelings are wrong. God is right. Your feelings are wrong. That's your flesh talking. Obey God, not your feelings, not your flesh. That means in the Christian life, knowledge must trump feelings. Look at the Bible and do what's hard and realize that the reason you feel like it's so hard and it feels so wrong is because that's your flesh talking. And it's part of you and it will be part of you until Jesus remakes you to be glorious, uh, resurrected body like him. The third thing is don't identify yourself as your struggles. Did you notice all the way through, um, he, he, he's, he's saying like, oh yeah, but I, I sinned, but um, that's not me sinning, that's my sinful nature sinning. See how he's kind of distancing himself from it? It's not that he's taking, not taking responsibility for it. He couldn't say what a wretched man I am unless he was taking responsibility for what he did. Um, what you do is your fault and your responsibility. However, he is so... It's so clear to him that that isn't him anymore. The real me is in Christ. The real me is being remade in the image of Christ by the Spirit. That isn't the real me anymore who goes and does sin. That's the old me who keeps hanging around and he isn't welcome anymore. That's not me. Now, it's really important to recognise this because, again, our society is worshipping feelings and saying your feelings make you what you are. Um, What am I talking about? I'm saying if you feel like you're a, a, a woman and you're a man, then you're a woman. I'm saying if you ever have a feeling of same-sex attraction, you are homosexual. Embrace your identity. Your feelings make you what you are. This is what people say these days. What's the Bible say? That's your flesh talking. Doesn't it? See, there's this terrible move people make where they go, I had this feeling of same-sex attraction to another man, and a lot of men do. It's fairly normal, actually, to have one feeling of that in your life. Don't automatically go, therefore, I'm homosexual. I'll embrace that gay identity. That's not what it's about. People want you to make that move, but you don't have to, and you shouldn't, because that's not who you are. You're a Christian, you're in Christ, and your feelings don't define you. Jesus does, and that's your flesh talking anyway, and he's your old man, you don't want anything to do with him. Don't identify yourself as your struggles, identify yourself as in Jesus. Last thing, fight, don't float. Floating things just go the way of the current. Fighting things, stand up, face hard issues, face hard experiences and set out to fight on the winning side for Jesus and to live Jesus' way in the here and now. If you give up, if you're passive in the Christian life, then the flesh will be winning. You'll be losing. Fight, don't float. It's the most important thing of all of it really, isn't it? Because God, by God's grace, by his spirit, he's equipped us to fight and to live that life of righteousness now. Now, I hope I've sufficiently given you things to think about today and hopefully some things to repent of, quite frankly, because we all struggle with the flesh and we all sin and we need to take this very seriously as we set out to live in this world with the reality that we've still got this flesh thing to fight. Um, So I'm going to pray for God's help for us now. Um, uh, Let's do that. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are united to him by faith, by your spirit. We thank you that Jesus is the man with eternal life who earned it. Uh, thanks that he possesses it. And he possesses it to share with, with us who trust in him. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for giving us what we don't deserve and deserve very much the opposite. Thank you so much for that. 
Father, would you by your spirit please continue changing our hearts and our minds to see clearly how you want us to live in the scriptures and please change our hearts to desire more to do what you love and to live righteously your way. When we face the reality of ourselves falling into sin, please help us to identify it quickly and repent and turn away from it. And please cause our hearts to be so filled with love for you that we agonise over it and we're deeply frustrated and we just can't wait for the resurrection to come. We want to pray uh, and confess to you that we sin and fall short of your standards and that we need to do better. We thank you by your spirit we can obey you more. Please help us to have confidence that we can do that and very specifically to set out to conquer sin in our lives uh, where, where it's present at the moment. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.